0: Welcome to Leadership 2020. I'm Claire Carpenter. I'm joined today by Sam Carr. Sam is the Head of Software Development of the Quote API team for Tesco. Thank you for joining me.
1: Oh, hello. Yes. Uh, Thank you. Great to be here.
0: What's the Quote API team, Sam?
1: So in Tesco right now we have numerous services that are used to fulfill different parts of our business. Quote API is the one that figures out the cost of a basket full of goods. So you tell it who you are, where you are, what time it is and all the products you're buying and it'll tell you that's 15 pounds 73 pence and you earn 70 club card points for instance. It works out all the prices, all the promotions, also tax. After that, it sends all the information off as an invoice to uh, the financial departments and um, stock control and all of that. So okay. it's, it's quite central.
0: And so, in essence, is that a software engineering team? Is, would that be the right way of describing you?
1: It absolutely is. Yes, my team is responsible for designing, building, deploying, testing, supporting the entire life cycle of the quote API and its engineers. And I, I call myself an engineer, though I don't get so much hands-on keyboard typing code time these days. <laughs>
0: Okay, thank you. And how many people work with you in your team?
1: So there's about 30 in my team um, under my, I guess, jurisdiction. Yeah. Uh, There's also... That's engineers. There's also product managers who are more responsible for the what, and I guess us engineers are responsible for the for the how.
0: Yeah. So the clarity around that is is interesting, and I know that that's not where you've always been. You haven't grown up in the in the Tesco environment, as it were. So today, what I would love to do with you is to explore the development, I guess, of your career from when you were more in that sort of hands-on role to where you find yourself now, and think about some of the lessons that you've learned along the way and um, some of the experience you might be able to share with me, which might be useful.
1: Absolutely. So I guess from the very earliest days, I grew up with the ZX Spectrum and got into coding. Fast forward a few years to university, I studied computer science. Then I got my first job, um, which was at a company called Softwire. For 12 and a half years, I was there and fulfilled many, many roles. Starting off, of course, as the, the hands-on programmer, which I was for all of my time there, in varying capacities. I suppose I'm a sort of a person who, kind of, can't leave alone. You know, if I see a if I see a problem or an issue or a gap, I, I will tend to to step in. I can't bear to to leave it untouched. So perhaps that causes me to sort of emerge into roles of of leadership in in some senses. And, and that's what happened. I got into the project management side. You know, as as you accumulate some years of experience, you, you're asked to fulfil those roles anyway. If you seem like you might be fit for it. So, you know, those were often projects with six to 10 people or or sometimes just a couple of people, small, large, very diverse. The diversity was fantastic. Completely different industries because the company I was working for there was doing bespoke software development across all sorts of fields. That, I think, was my my learning ground. Most of all, Uh, I was also into technical sales, Uh, really good to get in front of CTOs and CFOs and CEOs of mm. startups who have uh, got some brilliant crazy vision and established oldie worldy companies uh, and everything in between and talked to them about what they're trying to achieve and try and solve their problems. Moved on from there to McKinsey, which is a, a world-renowned uh, consulting company. After that, uh, a little while at L-Shift, which is a little bit like Softwire. Then getting a bit more recent to Lumia a startup. Uh, I was there for a year and a half um, in Farringdon. That was just a 13-man company and I was VP technology certainly at the end of that, not that it means much in such a small place. And finally on to Tesco, which is where I've now been for over three and a half years. I guess the, the way my role has changed throughout, um, is it's got more and more responsibility mm. for certainly, to, I suppose, numbers of people. Though That has ebbed and flowed back in that startup. There weren't very many of us at all anyway. And that was a joyous, more hands-on role again. People talk about the pendulum, actually, and I think this is important in in the technology world, where people who are going into management, they do tend to hanker after the real hands-on fun of it, the creativity, the buzz of writing software, actually making something. So there is a classic sort of swing to and fro, management for a few years, and then back to a hands-on role, which might Mm. might even necessitate a pay cut, depending on the sorts of things you're trying to do, Mm. to really sort of rediscover the love and the joy and the, the hands-on, up-to-date understanding of the thing before then maybe being sucked back into the the leadership side again.
0: I think that's really interesting, though. There's something about how the tradition of the career path that says you go from... Here to here to here to here to here to here, and you know your team gets bigger and your hands-on responsibility gets less, and you know you get a bigger car and you buy a bigger house and you do all that kind of stuff. And I actually think we're breaking away from that now, and there's more of the travelling in different directions that you're talking about.
1: That's true. Yes, people are, I think, more willing and able to make these um, these jumps in either direction. Another interesting thing I've observed at a couple of these companies I've talked about is the recognition that. A pathway up through to management isn't the only pathway Mm. so many companies have traditionally set themselves up so that the only way to proceed in your career to get ever bigger challenges and to earn more is to go into management but actually that's not necessarily the right thing for some people people talk about uh, being promoted to their level of incompetence or their level of indifference that would be my spin on it Some people who are just brilliant engineers or hands-on creatives in all sorts of other ways, actually maybe their most valuable contribution that they should be rewarded handsomely for is to stay as an individual contributor. That's Mm -hmm. the terminology we use at Tesco, and there is a track for that. You can be promoted up through that and never have anyone reporting to you in a line management sense, not taking on that management responsibility, staying hands-on. But at the same time, actually, a great deal of leadership is still... Expected as you move up into those higher echelons as an individual contributor. Mm -hmm. You are expected to obviously have a great deal of experience and wisdom and to be great at communicating and to take the lead on the really difficult technical problems in our case, to solve them, to to convince people to share, to to bring the whole company along on the voyage with you. So management and leadership aren't exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. You can be a leader, a very strong and important leader, even though you may not be a, a line manager, in the traditional sense
0: yeah I agree with you it's almost about role modelling behaviours as well isn't it it's about ease your technical expertise um, and how you bring that but it is also about the embodiment of actually being somebody who is there for others to learn from
1: yes absolutely I mean people talk about the multiplier that very experienced engineer uh, maybe they could sit down and write code and they might do an excellent job of that twice as well as anyone else maybe or they might be able to multiply the abilities of everyone else by 10 times, mm-hmm. by doing different activities, by spreading their knowledge, by facilitating, by chipping in in the right ways in the right places, by mentoring and coaching and mm. showing the way that there are all sorts of ways that, that one can contribute.
0: I think it's really interesting that Tesco have developed this sort of dual path to a more senior role or senior position within the organisation and that doesn't necessarily involve actual people responsibility reporting in. I think there's, there's lessons to be learned from that from many organisations because certainly I've met lots of managers who have been excellent engineers or accountants or architects who have, you know, got to a point where they then get, you know, six given to them as responsibility and actually they're pretty awful in terms of being able to develop team spirit trust openness kindness at work all of the things that we value and that we want from somebody who you know we put ourselves into their care don't we every day when we go to work and I think that's a that's something that we see across British business
1: yes certainly um all the places that I've worked um you come across all sorts of different people There's the things that people are perhaps naturally good at and fall into. And there's the things that we can learn to be better at. And I do believe that everyone can learn to be better at most things. Mm. Yeah, certainly I try.
0: That's really interesting though, isn't it? So it's about knowing that you're not good at everything, understanding that you don't have all the innate qualities. You weren't born, you know, we don't say that anymore, do we? You weren't born to be a leader. And actually you have to learn to do it and work on it pretty hard.
1: Yes, yes, I, I really do think so. One of the, uh, the ways that we actually think about people at Tesco is um, the what and the how. So there's the results that you achieve. So maybe you do a vast amount of work, uh, very high quality, and you deliver some important, big, interesting, complicated, difficult thing. But also, how did you do it? If you elbowed everyone out of the way to get there and caused a tremendous amount of distress and collateral damage then, uh, you know, you, you may score very well on the what, but um, really not very well on the how. And of course, we want everyone to try to, to be great on the what and the how, all mm. the soft skills and, and leadership skills, which are a big part of that.
0: Mm-hmm. So you have 30 people now that you're responsible for directly and others that you have influence with. You've chosen this path. What, what did you do to enable you to be in that place?
1: Well, that's an interesting question. I apply for the job, partly. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it won't happen if you don't go out and actually try to, to take the opportunities that come your way and, and yeah. to make opportunities. Yeah. I mean, actually, when I started in this exact role, my team was three people. Okay. And I was actually hands-on. I was right in the thick of it, yeah, being the hands-on engineer. Um, the team has grown over three and a half years and is now 30 or so, and I don't have time to do much of that anymore, hardly any. Um, but I do try... Here and there to keep my hand in, so I think it's important you know if you're if you're going to try to lead in any given sort of space like that that you do know what you're talking about you can't just be an arbitrary leader, certainly I don't think you can in the the sort of technology layer that I'm at anyway mm-hmm. you you do have to command the respect of of those around you to be able to partake in the the complex and interesting t- discussions to be able to have an opinion to be able to understand what people are saying to you and distill hopefully a, a reasonable opinion out of it at the end.
0: So I think that's definitely one, one spoke of that, isn't it? And if you like, the technical expertise that backs up your... If you like, that's a form of expert power, isn't it? You have responsibility and or, and authority because you speak the same language, you understand the nuances of the work that your people are doing. And still, that puts you technically able to to help and offer them direction. What What about your capacity to actually give value to them from a management point of view? What work have you done around that?
1: So management is sometimes a difficult thing to pin down. Mm. Different people have different management styles and I'm reflecting on my own. I suppose these days certainly I try to be a facilitator. People talk about the servant management. I, I don't know whether I embody that exactly. I end up having a lot of specific domain knowledge and understanding of what's going on with the the work that we're doing right now and why we're doing it. So actually often the communication is absolutely vital in both directions trying to make sure that the team understand what we're doing and very importantly why mm-hmm. what's the result supposed to be for the consumer, for Tesco, for for people within Tesco. If people just do what's written down yeah, it says do this and off they go and do it mm. I'm, I'm not at all satisfied with that they have no power to question it to realise but hang on this isn't going to actually do what you really wanted there's a better way there's an easier way we can't do this but we can do that so I spend a lot of my time effectively communicating in both directions to help the business the, the, the higher level business where the requirements come down from mm. and the engineers in my team who are trying to write the code to fulfil them to come together and get the perfect or best possible compromise for the right price in the right time and, and all of that. It's always something of a compromise, I suppose.
0: Mm. And thinking about your development as a leader or a manager, what have you done in terms of upskilling yourself or giving yourself a greater capacity to do that?
1: Perhaps not enough, actually. Mm. Um, it's so easy to, to be just caught up in the reactive world of trying to deliver all the stuff you've got to deliver day after day, week after week. There are actually plenty of things that that I suppose I've done in terms of internal training courses and the like and um, getting out to conferences and and reading and things like that. But I've never placed too much store in a lot of sort of officially delivered training. I prefer the learning on the job with some sort of guidelines, some some ropes and um, I guess some mentoring. Perhaps one of the most useful things of all is a really good boss okay in all sorts of ways reminds me actually people people join companies and people leave bosses yes. it's something we heard the other day when we were talking about retention yes it's true because it's actually it's your relationship with your boss and how they help or hinder you to get your work done and progress through your own career that's what really makes your working life good or bad and your career succeed or not i've been very lucky to have a number of fantastic bosses and uh, I have a great one right now certainly
0: I think there's some really salutary lessons in in the words you're saying there's lots of research that backs up the data around why people leave companies you know they might not tell you that the reason they're leaving is you but in fact it's definitely you and that's something to be really mindful of isn't it in terms of retention
1: it is and i i have to of course reflect that right back to myself and say well i'm the boss yeah. of those people if they're leaving that might be because of me now, I'm glad to say retention's really good in my area um, I'm very pleased about that and I invest a lot in the, the happiness of the team partly just because my personal philosophy is, is one of you know if, if you're going to spend a third of your life and probably half your waking life working better make sure it's fairly satisfying and, and happy otherwise you're going to have a miserable life that's what keeps people coming to work and being engaged in their work is if, if they are getting satisfaction and happiness how do we achieve that? A lot of it, I think, is just simple human stuff, mm. you know, just setting the tone for the team. So being the sort of person acting in the sort of way that you would like everyone else to reflect. Mm. And I see this everywhere, companies and teams within companies, the teams do reflect the characters of their leaders. It's really true. I, I've worked at toxic companies before, I certainly felt they were, uh, and I felt that was, you know, it was coming down from above. I see it even in my own team, I see a certain amount of controlled chaos sometimes in the way we go about our agile practices Mm. that I think reflects my character. I'm actually a very organized person, but at the same time, I'm not so great at being the one who works through the Excel spreadsheet through every single line, diligently checking off every last little thing. Mm. My brain's a bit more scattergun than that and it's a bit all over the place as it fills in the picture. So I can see that in my own team and that's okay, but every now and then, people in the team who would prefer more sense of control and organisation. It's clear that they're feeling that. So it's great to have other people in the team, especially nowadays, that bring those other elements that I might be lacking and can fill in those areas. People who are really diligent, they're great at working through the fine detail and making sure we tick every box. They can complement me and everyone else in the team and and add up to a, a greater thing, which is lovely.
0: So I'm reminded of a quote which I'm going to n- not even attempt to actually accurately quote but something that Richard Branson said around how he has built a company by surrounding himself with people who are cleverer than him and better at him in certain areas and he just sort of turns up.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's a wonderful feeling. They do say never be the cleverest person in the room because mm. there's nowhere else to go, there's nothing to learn, no no next step um, within that room anyway. I'm lucky to have some absolutely brilliant people around me in the team and I absolutely defer to them on uh, on technical matters, though I will have my own opinion and we have wonderful <laughs> discussions. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I really wouldn't want to be trying to run a team that didn't have phenomenal people in it. That's one of the things I like best about my current job, actually, just the calibre of the people that I get to work with every day in their competence and just, you know, as people to work with and, and have a great time with.
0: So just going back to what you said about um, creating an environment where people are happy. There's, again, there's lots of research and psychological data around how um, happy people are successful. In fact, that's a lovely quote from Annie McKee's book around um, how to be happy at work. It's saying happy people are successful and actually lots of companies think success leads to happiness. And, and she thinks it's the other way around. How do you go about making people in your team happy?
1: So there's... A lot of people may have seen the um, the TED talk, especially the the beautifully hand animated sort of version about. Um, I think it's by is it by Daniel Pink, autonomy, mastery, and purpose yes. being the keys. And I, I feel that myself through my own experience. And I suppose I I try to to make that happen for my team and the individuals mm-hmm. in my team. At the same time. Do I put a lot of very explicit effort into making the team happy? A sort of yes and no. Mm. I think human psychology and team dynamics are really quite a subtle thing. And I guess one butterfly flapping its wings somewhere in the team can cause all sorts of funny things to happen somewhere else that could be hard to understand. Yes. But I seem to have, I think I've done okay so far. And we do do deliberate specific things. You know, we do go on team outings, carting to the pub, play shuffleboard in a, in a London pub or whatever we uh, just the other week actually I organized a hackathon for the team and this was a this was a very deliberate attempt to make people happier yeah and feel more satisfied in their work uh, so they're gonna do better work and stick around and and also so they would generate some really cool stuff on the day which they absolutely did did they? I mean it was it was just all positive 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 as far as I was concerned I was thrilled by the result yeah yeah it was brilliant
0: I think when you see people really enjoying themselves out there as well, that, that that brings us something to the leader as well, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, I mean, it it makes me feel happy in my work to mm. see that you know it it flows in both directions. I guess I like it. You know, when you walk to the team area and people are stood around in huddles discussing complicated and interesting things, and you get drawn into a conversation. There's yeah. hubbub. There's banter in 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 a light and positive sort of a way. Yeah. You know, there's no toxicity. People can have heated technical debates, but whilst they're doing it, they're actually listening to each other properly. They're not just trying to drive home their own point again and again and again. And furthermore, never any bad blood coming out of those debates. Just passionate debates, people trying to understand each other. Hmm. I mean, actually, it's something I've learned in the last couple of years. Most disagreements are really rooted in misunderstanding usually you don't disagree nearly as much with the other person as you think. Mm -hmm. It's just that you don't really understand why they think what they're thinking, and they don't understand what you're thinking and why. And maybe you don't understand each other's domains that you're even trying to think about. Mm -hmm. And if you can only put the effort into that, then the bridge builds itself to actually having the understanding and, and agreement.
0: I do agree with you. I think that it's about we see things through our own filters, and if we can really work on, on on seeing things through another's, then we might have a different opinion. We might not. But even yeah. un, even in understanding it, we create some level of improved communication with the other.
1: Absolutely. Empathy is so important to resolving problems for working with other people, especially people in other teams, mm-hmm. I think, where you just have this sort of sense of what they're up to. You just know what you need from them for your team and your very, very important things that you've got to get done. Mm. But if you can have some empathy for... The fact that their world is probably a lot more complicated than you realise from your nice exterior viewpoint. And they've got lots of pressures and difficulties and you you have no idea about half of them. And that actually a lot of the things that they're saying that you might not disagree with, they might be perfectly well reasoned and founded and, and they might be right and you should you should listen mm. and try to understand.
0: I'm thinking back to your hackathon and while while I have you here, I'd also maybe like us to sort of finish off today by thinking a little bit about the world of innovation that you occupy um, and wondering about how um, in giving people almost play time like that, how, does that contribute, do you think, to innovation in your team?
1: Well, it certainly did in that occasion. The, um, the mission I gave people on that day, and it was just a day, it wasn't even a 24-hour hackathon, it was just a standard work day, was to scratch their own itches. <laughs> right? Developers, though you empower them and you tell them You can and you must go and do this stuff that's important that needs doing Mm. there is a there's a psychological thing that still no matter how much you do that they don't necessarily do it even though they know they should because they feel the pressure to deliver features they they just do there's no getting away from it because there are stories on the wall And, and there's probably other ways to to break through that but here what we tried doing was saying well have a day go and scratch your own itch that that area of the code that you don't like that you'd like to refactor that tool you 'd love to create that visualization, that thing that really annoys you, just go and fix it and people really rolled up their sleeves, rubbed their hands, and cracked on and uh, There were some phenomenal demos there really were
0: mm. and some collaboration that you weren 't expecting perhaps
1: yeah people people clubbed up into um, small groups i think one of the most impressive demos I suppose uh, it 's worth mentioning just because it it really was quite cool a couple of guys they they realized that they couldn 't keep their physical kanban board easily up to date with their virtual jira version of the same they rigged it up so they could take a photo of the physical kanban board with their phone Mm -hmm. it used some off the shelf sort of machine learning type stuff that could pick out the number written on the card and update jira to move things between columns and put them in the same order as they were on the board and they did all that just in a single work day so good it was, yeah, that's a great demo, you know, when you can show people that, the magic. You know, that is that so good.
0: I know so many people who want that.
1: Yeah. And, and other people just maybe fixed a bug in a piece of open source software that we were relying on that had been annoying them. And now the bug is fixed and it's out there and contributed to the world. And the, hopefully the world is a better place. And they were really happy for being able to just knuckle down and do it.
0: So I'm thinking about just in summary... You have, through your own career, moved along the path of being independent and then working with yourself to think about, obviously as part of a wider, a wider group, into this role where um, you now have the level of responsibility that we've talked about. What advice would you give to somebody thinking about applying for that job, thinking about writing that application and taking the plunge into that space?
1: So I think you do have to have a philosophy of how to successfully get a team working Mm. you have to know or have some theories at least how you think you're going to do that what will your style be what is already your style Mm. what is important to you what are you passionate about and get that to come across i think those are the those the job applications that um that sort of hit homes the ones where it's clear that someone has actually got a real a real passion they've got a philosophy they they believe it and they they know how to execute it and and it's important always to to try to demonstrate you know the evidence that that you have succeeded at doing that of course you know if it's an entirely new thing for you you might have to hustle a little bit Hmm. and that's how we all get ahead in the world right
0: yes i think that's a great sentence to finish (laughs) with thank you thank you so much today well thank you thank you it's been fun Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave a rating and review to help others find out about the show. This is a Poddo podcast produced by Nick Hilton in association with Corndale.